Father Harrison. It is it is so good to have you back. I couldn't I couldn't do another Nick episode. It would have been too much for my brain to handle. <laughs> you you already get enough chaos. Nick. You already get enough Nick because you pretty much I go do. there every day of rest, don't you? Uh, pretty often, pretty yeah. much. Uh, day off, at least like every other week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, um, so was that a clip show? I don't think it was a clip show. Okay. It was definitely a bumper show. Okay. I mean, there's a little bit of reminiscing, yeah. but a clip show, qua clip show, would be playing literal clips of our old, ep- old, you know, episodes, and this was just playing the bumpers. Um, <laughs> so it was definitely. A, I think. It, I think it was a celebration of producer Nick. I think is what last episode was, which is good. It, he needs to be celebrated. I. It was. It was fun to listen to. Uh, you know, there was a few parts I'm like, okay, I'll fast forward for a minute here or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I do that with every podcast. You do it with every podcast. We all do it. You know, we all do it. Um, but I forgot how many mumpers he's made in the last few yeah. years. And now they're all genius. It's uh, my favorite one. I was the Bishop Umbers one. It's so good. I was like, we have to have Bishop Umbers on again, actually, just so we can use that mm-hmm. bumper officially. I think. Only if he's figured out his audio setup. This, I think he has. Okay. Because it's been some time. His Episcopal pod, I think, was sounding better towards That's the good. end of last season. But yeah, it, it was it was fun to listen to. Yeah. No. I. I mean, I was very much. Um, uh, so I thought that Nick and I would just have a conversation. I think we were going to talk about like tithing or something, mm-hmm. and then um, I was like, "Hey, do you want to start the cold open?" And he's like. Yes, I have something. And then he just flat out <laughs> sabotaged the whole podcast and just took it over and just ran like crazy. And uh, you know what? It was it was my day off and I just didn't have the energy to fight him on it. And so I was along for that uh, insane roller coaster ride. You know, it, it was a little heavier the last couple of weeks before that. That's true. So it's nice to lighten things up, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's been a crazy week for me, but we'll get into that later uh, on this episode of Clerically Speaking. Hey, welcome to Clerically Speaking. This is Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. So one of the things I did when I was away was I had this in my mind because I'm I've been very bad about exercise. As you know, yes, you have many, many, many people uh, have been hounding me about this for a long time, from friends mm-hmm. to doctors to people on Twitter, whatever it is, you know, just... Yeah, I would say people have been trying to chase you down on this, but you haven't been really running away or running at all or moving, so... This is right, yes. So, mm-hmm. when I was away, I decided I... There's this, like, saying, like, if you, you... To build a habit, you need to do something for three weeks. Okay. And I'm, like, of the opinion... I don't know if that's true or not, but even, like, knowing that saying, you feel like if you hit the three-week mark that you've done yeah. it and like it, sure. it becomes like a psychological motivation of sorts you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh so while i was away once i got to notre dame and even on my retreat last week which was a real blessing um i went for a walk every day because nice. i bought a bike i bought a stationary bike after christmas nothing too mm-hmm. fancy i got that's why i got my my iwatch too for for that stuff to mm-hmm. measure everything but i hadn't really been using it because I never had time, right? Or if I had time, I didn't have the energy to even get on the bike. And by the time my retreat was over uh, and I got home on the Friday, I'm like, I I have to exercise. The habit had been built. Nice. And so, I mean, it's only been four days now on the bike. But I've gone four days straight. So every day is leg day. <laughs> every day <laughs> is leg day. day. Every day is leg day. <laughs> um, so... And I have to give a special shout out to two people who have been mm-hmm. 
really hounding me, but in a gentle and like inviting way. So Shannon last, who is like, let's we have to like match walk stuff every day, who was really helpful. <laughs> and then Katie Ruby Calba, who uh, kept on saying, "You got to get into the Peloton. You got to get into Peloton." And, and like you're doing, like I didn't get a Peloton bike because they're too expensive, and I just sure. can't justify spending that much personally on a bike because I'm a priest. So that's why I got the simpler bike. But I got the app. I got the app, and I can you know it's sixteen bucks a month or whatever for Canadian for it. And I was like, because everyone's like, oh, you know that it really is motivating. And I, I was like, my contrarian nature was like, I don't want to like this. Yes, <laughs> because I hate self helpery. I yeah. hate false motivational speech stuff um but i actually love peloton (laughs) uh you have joined a cult my friend i have joined the cult i have uh i have drank the kool-aid um so what i do my routine okay this is the thing i'm trying to build routine in my life uh these are some things i took away from retreat and at time away i need certain things in life to make it through every day and if i don't do these things uh, i will not be able to live in an authentic human fashion. So I wake up ah. and the first thing I do is I go on the bike. First and thing. First thing. Then I, you know, clean up afterwards, have a quick breakfast, and then I go to my chapel to pray. Nice. And even like what, uh, you know, that didn't happen, that did not happen in terms of, uh, on a retreat with walking, because, but, but like, my been finding my prayer time is a lot better. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're like, Awake, probably. I'm awake by then. I'm alert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the exercise has been focusing me better. So it's my doctor was really pushing me. He's like, you have to exercise. It'll help you with your ADHD. Yeah. And it is. <laughs> I feel like in control of my thoughts. It's a very yeah. weird feeling. It's been a nice thing the last few months. and I don't want to lose this. <laughs> That's good. That makes sense. I mean, when I exercising is some of my best thinking time. As well, something about that getting your whole body in motion and doing stuff helps kind of mm-hmm. clear stuff up. So that makes sense to me. And here's the really cool thing is what? So I'm, I'm also like I'm also doing some calorie tracking because I'm like I, I also said I have to lose some weight. I, I am mm-hmm. too heavy um, for my size. Although I found that the weight for my height is apparently like for a guy is like 150. I'm like no 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 that's not that, that's, no, that's not that's ridiculous. <laughs> that, that's that's anemic almost to me. It sounds like you know <laughs> I'll yeah. be like the sickly bone guy who will show up at mass or whatever. Um, yeah, but I'm trying to lose one pound a week. Okay, which is doable, right? Sure. Like that's that's doable. So I have my calorie tracker, but like with the exercise and everything, it, it's good. You can still eat stuff you like. Yeah. But you just don't eat it all the time. Sure. Like, I went to Wendy's for lunch yesterday because I didn't have much time between Mass and the Mission Church. But I reduced my meal a bit. I had a – but I even – I've been trying to drink more diet stuff, but I even had a Coke just because I had the calories to do it, you know? <laughs> and I'm 0.6 pounds away now from falling under 200 pounds for the first time in forever. That's exciting. So good that's exciting. You, so it's good. It's like – it's just to say, like, we need these things. Yes, absolutely. And it's okay, and it's okay to, to make time for them. And it's good to take care of things now before you have a major health emergency, which is also a good reason to answer theological questions so there's no more theological emergencies. <laughs> Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412 
We're back to bad transitions, uh, baby. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyways. I the Google Translate on this one is a little weird, but I want to do it. It's the first one, so it's the three oh three number. Okay. Uh, at nine thirteen a.m. Actually, today. Hi, Father Anthony and Father Harrison. Um, this is Diana. I'm calling from Michigan, and I was wondering, uh, for reasons wholly unrelated to the bug I saw that had died in the holy water font, um, if you die by drowning in holy water. Does that, like, cleanse you of all of your sins? Obviously, if you don't have any mortal sins, and, like, send you directly to heaven. Uh, this is an important question. Uh, I need to know if I need to pray for the soul of this bug. I mean, completely unrelated to the bug. Anyways, thanks. Bye. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that that one did it for you. That one broke you, oh didn't it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It was so funny. This is like this is the this is the essence of what I want theological emergencies to be. Like not that I want every question, but like this is I've been waiting f- my whole life has been waiting for this moment. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. So Diana, if I, that is your real name, um, so sometimes with these theological emergencies, I have more questions than they do. Um, <laughs> like for example, uh, I know the question's unrelated to the bug completely and utterly. Um, but like, what kind of bug was it? I'm I'm interested. Was it a big spider? Was it a flea? Yeah, curious. Okay, uh, but also I'm trying to imagine what container of holy water in any Catholic church is big enough to actually drown in the the, the little bowls with holy water when you're entering your church. Yeah, but you can't fit in that. But a you bug can't could. stick a your whole could. face in. A bug bug could though. A bug could, yeah, yeah, but she's talking about like what happens if you drown in holy water, like a oh, do not, oh, I've seen mass. I actually at the baptism I was at in Fort Wayne, uh, that baptismal pool is quite large, and you could drown in it. Okay, well, if you were to drown right after your baptism, uh, definitely you would go straight to heaven, right? Yes, yes. cleansing of all sins, no problem. But if it's just like so, you got some uh, venial sins, you drown in holy water. Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining someone putting their face into like one of those cups of holy water in the entrance of churches and like, I can't swim. I can't swim. <laughs> um, so I think part of the, um, so blessing yourself with holy water uh, does remove venial sins, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a sign of a cross, by the way. Right. So it's a sign of a cross. Uh, but I think that there has to be an intention there, right? A desire of some sort, at least. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say that you're uh, in your neighbor's pool um, and it unbeknownst to you has been blessed and is full of holy water and uh, you take a swim in there and you don't come back up. Um, I don't think that would forgive your sins unless you had the intention of either blessing yourself or doing that. I think that would just be really sad. So I think there has to be an intention there. So this is actually raising many more questions for me. So okay. first, in relation to the bug, we obviously, the bug has no rational soul, therefore, uh, it has no personhood, uh, therefore, there is no heaven for the bug. Yeah. Uh, it is, um, but my, so my first question is, though, but it has been in something blessed, and it's now been doused in this, and has been, and it's probably seeped into its bug body somehow, and it's in yeah. its lungs or whatever, bug anatomy is like, I'm a priest, I'm not a biologist, so, yeah. Um, did you burn or bury the bug? Because it has now, it is now imbued like with holy water. You got to dispose of it at least by putting it into the ground. And so, how did did you properly dispose of the bug? 
This is an mm-hmm. important question that I, because if you really care about holiness and going straight to heaven, you would dispose of the bug properly. Would it be enough to just like throw the bug outside on the ground? Or Probably. do you think you have to actually dig a little hole for the bug and bury it? And you have to get like a little tiny cross. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like, like you know, true. it's like a little little tiny cross. Like maybe, little, maybe little like a you know, little, little buggy cross and just put it there and just a little buggy cemetery. And uh, now it's been properly disposed of because it has something holy in it. Okay. And it's also this whole sanctifying things unto Christ. You know, it is this whole, uh, um, it's this whole, all things are to be set aside for God in the end. All creatures, all creation. But I also have another question because you brought okay. up the pool thing. But you do yeah. know the Orthodox, like, bless the ocean, right? I I do know that. I know they bless lakes and stuff and they kind of go crazy so with their blessings. So if you drown in those, have you drowned in holy water? Uh, the one thing, you know, <laughs> imagine the amount of salt you would need to put in. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's enough salt. You have to exercise the salt in the ocean yes. and then it's already there. It's, it's kind of messing up the right a little bit. <laughs> I think. Great. It, yeah. Um, uh, so this is one of the most frustrating things about seminary. I learned a lot of theology. Um, I can name philosophers and theologians that I will literally never quote in any homily. Um, they have little relevance to my day to day teaching of the faith. But we never had a class on just, like, the rules of blessing stuff. It was all just pure seminarian speculation and looking at some old books. But, like, to explain, like, if you bless an ocean, what happens? When you bless your food, what do you do? You have to bury? Like, all this very practical stuff that real Catholics want to know about, no answers. No answers in seminary. We, like, pretend that blessings don't exist. It's almost like modern theology is, like, embarrassed by the theology of blessing like we don't really want to talk about that because it seems too much like catholic magic that would actually be a fun we should i need to prep some material for that one day that would be a fun thing to explore as an you know as a presb orc x or a presb x whatever you know that'd be fun but i have another question related to holy things and bugs yeah father harrison how many bugs have you consumed while consuming the uh oh many precious blood many many yeah even with Mm -hmm. the paul on top they, especially yep. summertime. They, 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 yeah, they sneak in there. Little fruit flies. Yep. If it was really big, I would um, gently remove it. Pro- I don't. That's never happened. But if it was a larger-ish one, I would probably gently remove it because that would be just too much. Too much. Well, I'd be afraid that I would um, that the consumption of the precious blood might be unconsumed in violent illness if it was a really big bug and that would cause even more problems exactly uh, but like a little tiny one you could the the, the precious blood overwhelms the possibility of yeah you, feeling you just get a little protein throat. with your jesus yeah exactly and yes. you know and then you know speaking of catholic magic maybe you become fly man fly boy fly yeah. priest <laughs> <laughs> instead of like mixing with radioactive material it's with the pressure okay um so the point is um there has to be some sort of intention when you're doing the holy water thing um and you know ultimately everything is in god's hands and uh you god don't need to control. pray for bug god's in control and you don't need to pray for uh bugs no now okay final question final question <laughs> father harrison what happens to your prayers like you, you pray for a bug that's pointless, but you genuinely prayed for it. What happens to that prayer? Does it go in like a trash bin in heaven? Does no. it kind of float around the ether? It's a work like of what worship. happens? It's a work of worship, and so God uses that for for good. Okay, just bring something up, good with it. Before we go to the next one, though, this actually brings up something from the last episode. Yeah, and I need to fight you on this. <sighs> 
memes are worship. Uh, you're referring to um, Joel, if that is his real name from Cleveland, his question. And you're saying memes are worship. You're going to need to explain this to me because uh, this is just simply not true. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and spiritual or rational worship. Everything you do as a Christian, everything, your whole bodily life, and internet has a bodily existence in a pneumatic way. Thank you, Matthew Tan, for helping me understand that a bit more. Um, So when you're doing memes, it is an expression of bodiliness, which is now being offered up to Christ to bring the good news in various forms to the world. And anything that shares in this gift of self is sacrifice. That is cross, and therefore is worship of the Father, Q-E-D. Okay, I'm going to give people a little peek behind the curtain. If you ever hear me answer a question, uh, a theological emergency, and I'm being really mean to the person, it's because I actually know them personally. So uh, if I don't know you personally, I'm usually pretty nice to you on the theological emergencies. I was mean to Joel, uh, if that is his real name. And by by saying what you have said, you're going to make my life way more difficult. Good. So, But this is what I exist thanks. for. You're welcome. Aren't you happy I'm back? You know, no, now, now you're like, maybe, now maybe, Nick, kinda, maybe Nick being here would have been a good thing. <laughs> no, I'm next. The next episode is just going to be me and producer Indy. I'm just going to be talking to Indy for an hour <laughs> as she power. eats the microphone. All right, do you want to do one more? Yes. Do you know what? Actually, let's do the Australia one that's underneath it. Okay, that's a good one. A little bit more serious, but the six one eight number. Yeah, Saturday at three eleven a.m., which is I don't know what Sydney time is. Hello, Father Harrison and Father Anthony. This is Mary from Darwin, Australia. And yes, it is my real name. If the gospel, tradition and magisterium guide us to the whole truth required for salvation, how can we respond to Catholics proclaiming that Marian apparitions proclaim new prophetic messages about end times that need to be heeded? Looking forward to your answer. Thank you. So I'm just a little confused here, just for a okay. moment. So Darwin is her real name? Uh, wait, no, no, no. Uh, I'm actually, I'm just being a jerk. Uh, not that I know. Oh, right. Mary I from that. Darwin. Yes. And she goes, and yes, that is my real name. Like, what? What is your real name? What, what is that? Uh, that? What is that referring to? It's true. And also, I mean, when people get real defensive about this, I feel like they're lying to us. Like, yes. tr- like I, I'll go around telling people my name's Anthony, and yes, that yes. is my real name. Yeah. If I did that to someone, they would obviously think I'm lying. So right. Mary or from Darwin, Australia, whatever your so-called name is, still in doubt. Still in doubt. At the same time, I actually, I have a secret love for everyone in Australia. I think you've been pretty, because you've been there. I've been there. We, we like Bishop Bombers. We like Australians. I have good, I have good uh, friends down there. And, uh, and they're part of the Commonwealth, yeah. the largest empire in the world. Uh, yeah, um, which has done great things for all kinds of nations across the world <laughs> and something to be proud of. Anywho, uh, I hope, uh, so we had to ask Nick to um, actually adjust that audio because the audio came to us upside down. So hopefully he was able to edit that and make that work. So everyone understood what. Uh, and then he had to play it backwards because it yeah. was swirling in a different way. Yeah. Just okay. like the toilet so water. All that, all that being said, all bad Australian jokes aside, um, this is interesting. I like this question a lot. I do too. I'll let Father Harrison, you, you take the first crack at this. 
So this is, it's, it's a weird phenomenon. And it's always like, there's this kind of always this kind of hyper prophetic phenomenon in the church in various forms throughout church history. It's always been there, yeah. right? The, the, the end is nigh. And I, I was talking to someone yesterday, like, yes, you, you know, if you're looking at the world right now, you, you realize revelation is really coming true. Like, so th- this gets back to something I said many episodes ago that right. we reduced um, eschatology to history as if the history of the world and the fighting of powers in, in politics, et cetera, is going to be the ultimate culmination of the eschaton. Like, so we have to fight these things because otherwise the prophecies are going to, it's like, so there's just too much of a disworldly view of this. And it's actually kind of, I would argue in charity that these forms of Marian uh, apparition and the, the mindset that pushes for this falls in this category. But the first simple thing to always keep in mind is the church has always said, even with approved apparitions, that they have no bearing on magisterial teaching, interpretation of scripture, or um, or on the church's tradition. They are allowed to be believed. The church believes Mary did this. But because the event of revelation, which is Jesus Christ incarnate in his death and resurrection, has come to its completion, that that is the, the, the focus point of tradition, interpreting scripture and magisterium. The, the magisterium can't exist to uh, bring these events in. The, the magisterium's function does not exist to bring these events into conversation with tradition. It exists to interpret in a right way what the event of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ means for life of the church today. And so when she says, "I we approve these things, she's saying um, nothing in this. We believe, A, we've done the, the, the proof work that we believe that this happened. But secondly, that nothing that is said here contradicts the teaching of the church. And so one can believe it privately insofar as it aids them in heading deeply into what the church is and her tradition and her teaching, etc. And so anybody who takes these things, like it's funny because like people will take Fatima still as an end times prophecy thing. And you, you just can't do that. You can't. It's not possible uh, because that's not what the church is. And so it gets, it's, it's a fundamentally an ecclesiological question. Yeah. Um, so just kind of building off that and, I would say that the Marian apparitions themselves that have been approved don't lend themselves any more than anything else does to that kind of imitizing the eschaton, uh, bringing down into human activity the end times. Um, I will say that there are some forms of piety that do that. Mm -hmm. But if in Fatima or whatever, uh, Mary said, in three days the world is going to end, then you would know it's not a genuine... Uh, apparition, and it would never have been approved, right? And uh, there are a lot of Marian apparitions, like a lot of approved ones. Mm-hmm. And I think their their benefit and why Mary is doing this um, is because really in each generation, uh, we face the end times. Mm-hmm. We've been in the end times since uh, the ascent of the Holy Spirit, right? And so this is an extra help 
to either help wake people up or to affirm them or to help them to focus on stuff. Like when Mary says, hey, a lot of people are going to hell for for sexual sins and uh, you better consecrate Russia. Those seem like a good warning and a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that. So those are mm-hmm. uh, helps. Um, she just kind of makes more obvious. Um, it's almost uh, Mary working as in the prophetic nature, uh, showing us what is going on in the world uh, through the eyes of God. And, you know, so um, there are good things um, and great places for pilgrimage and all of that. So the problem comes in when the piety around it goes sideways. Um, you can take anything that's good and twist it and make it something that's bad. Uh, so, yeah. Can I, I, one more thing with that, with the prof- prophecy yeah. thing. Um, so, because my interpretation of prophecy has always been this. Prophecy exists for one thing, to witness to the person of Jesus Christ. So, Old mm. Testament prophecy it's future oriented in in time because why the messiah hasn't come yet yeah. and so it's always this it, and it, and actually good prophecy always has past present and future in it right so the old testament yes. prophets are calling back to the covenant they are uh to be lived properly today but also uh helping develop the understanding of the covenant in such a way to prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And so, because who is the covenant? Who is the law but Jesus, right? He yeah. is the fullness of the law. He is the law itself in Matthew 5 to 8, right? And so, and so New Testament prophecy, first, the word prophet in the New Testament, best to, um, especially in the letters of St. Paul, uh, is best to attribute to them essentially priest, Um um, they're still working on this line. They're still developing what does ministry mean in the New Testament, et cetera. So, but to be a prophet in the New Testament is, it's like flipping the Old Testament on its head. The Messiah is here. Prophecy now exists to call us back to that, to live that today, to always go forward to the Father. Because Jesus, like, this is the other thing. Like, es- the reason eschatology is even a thing, heaven and hell and the end of time is only possible because the end of time, in a way, has already happened in Jesus, because the resurrection is supra-historical. Mm-hmm. It's part of history, but it's also above it and transcends it. And so the end has already happened in that sense. Um, and this is why Revela- this is why book of Revelation is really important. You have to read it in that lens. And so yeah. we're, with this piety gets divorced from what it means to be a Christian. It gets what the what it means to be in the church and sacramentality mm-hmm. and a Christian vision of history, which is like this is my this is the stuff that's always floating in my head right now because this is like what I'm focusing yeah. on in my thesis. A Christian notion of history is not being lived. Or actually, often it, this is like a little nugget for now, but often these obsessions around Marian prophecy are operating out of a modern notion of history. Yes. But that's all I'm going to say for now because I'm talking yeah. too much. But yeah, it's, 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 it gets twisted. And it's like, but here's the oh, one little last thing. We have to okay. ask the question. And this is, this is the, the question of charity because one can always critique to the cow, till the cows come home. You should always ask, like, why is it that this attracts people? What is it that's not being fed to them in the life of the church? Hmm. What is it that, or how they see the world, that they find that this gives them meaning, purpose, and belonging in life? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think that's always an important question to ask. And you should always be reflecting on that because that is where you can help change the heart to be more authentically Catholic in response to these things. Yeah, I agree. Also, very cool that we finally got a call from Australia. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Um, so That was really cool. Let's get some more Australians calling in with theological emergencies. Heck yeah. That was delightful. Heck yeah. All right. Uh, and <laughs> Come you're on, still, You're still awake? You're still awake? No, uh, I'm not. Um, okay. Okay, so now it's time for Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Yes. yes quite. quite. Yes. So, Father Harrison, I was late to our recording session for two reasons. One, because I can't read text messages. And I thought we were going to start or 1130. Scroll or scroll up. Or scroll up. I just can't. Nope. <laughs> I have is, come to accept this. Yeah, I just text just to say, "Hey, just remember, you know, it's fine. I'm waiting." Yeah, no, I mean, and to be, I mean, just so you understand the depths of my ineptitude, I actually no, I have us uh, recording at twelve in my calendar, so I'm all kinds of messed up. <laughs> well, that was that was the original time, and then yes. I think I then I had asked, "Hey, actually, can we change that because something came up?" Yeah, so okay, that's also on me. So that's one reason. One is my ineptitude. The second reason is I was just in the meeting with my pastor. Uh, because we have had some things happen lately at the parish. Uh, so when I was first assigned here uh, at uh, the parish I'm at now, there were there's one priest and two parochial vicars, and they were going to take out both of the parochial vicars and have me there. So we're going from three to two priests. Okay. And uh, Father uh, Brian, my pastor, fought really hard to keep one of the guys on for a year, which was a great idea because I'm new to this parish. It's a very big and complicated parish. It's the third biggest parish in our diocese. Has like 1,500, 15,400 uh, parishioners in it. It's a big old parish. Um, and so that's helped me to like kind of get used to the whole rhythm of the parish for a year with somebody who's been here for four years. All good, right? Great idea. But he's been uh, reassigned. He's going to be an administrator at a different parish. And so we're going down from three priests to two priests. And, and I, quickly, I love yeah. when people say it, when your priest is assigned as administrator, it's not the word, in other words, it's we're going to test you out. <laughs> It's it's not just that. Yeah. Um, it's that this uh, it's part of our reorganization thing. Okay. Um, so that the, he's he's administrator of two different parishes that he'll probably have the fun job of uh, making them one parish. So uh, uh, <laughs> as his first assignment. Ew. Oh, and there's all kinds of drama there because like, there's drama everywhere. That's actually kind of not fair, I think. But anyways. Yeah, but you know what? But I'm not your um, diocese. I can say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it. Fairness has very little to do with decisions that are made. Um, decisions are made now more or less out of necessity. Uh, it's we need a guy. And that being said, Father Tom, who's moving. Yes. Um, he's incredibly confident, uh, very grounded, down to earth, also spiritual, faithful. No one's ready to be a pastor, but I can see why they chose him for this job. Um, and I have more faith in him than he has in himself, which is probably normal. Uh, so he's going to do that. So we had a meeting today to um, just discuss all this, what we're doing for the summer. And you can understand how frustrating this is because um, obviously one of the, the first concerns is what are you going to do about masses, right? Um, and now we're lucky because we're closer to the city. We can get, uh, and we even right now have a rotating group of guys who can come and help us out. Uh, but that's not going to be feasible for the future. 
and we're getting you know mixed signals about hey you should wait until September and to change the mask schedule it's all this is all new we're all figuring out but it's all frustrating and difficult mm-hmm. okay but my pastor was talking to me and said basically said like the way he, he's he's amazing so he said you know Anthony this is your time to shine which was his way of saying it's time for you to step up in a very sort of loving way <laughs> and like genuine he's not like duplicitous at all right yeah, um yeah. and just just encouraging me like hey it's more than 50 percent of the battle here is to be present to stuff um to build these relationships and he was very cool like i know that's a difficult thing for you to do because you're introverted kind of like i am and i'm happy to help you and we can like coordinate things like hey we'll go to this event together well like he was great great about it but he's absolutely right because i've known this about myself for a long time that i am incredibly introverted and then on top of that we've talked in the past about anxiety issues which last few months really flared up for me Hmm. Um, and now I'm on new medication and things are going a lot better. So I've been kind of mentally gearing myself up to do this kind of thing. Um, and so all very fair. This is what we have to do. And I'm for it. But it made me reflect on my experience of parish life and as a priest. And part of me feeling like I still live in two different worlds, like the world of Anthony and the world of Father Anthony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of this was because the the difficult time I had my first my first really four and a half, five years mm-hmm. of priesthood. And this is something they don't really tell you in seminary, but like talking to a lot of young guys, uh, the first few years of priesthood can be really, really, really tough just to figure out who you are, your responsibilities, how to be a priest, what does this mean for you, the whole integration of that. Um then you're thrown into a diocese where there may be all kinds of specific problems and then problems and difficulties and nuances in your own parish. All this is really tough because um, you're expected just to be priest. And so first few years for a priest can be especially difficult. And it was for me as well. And one of the difficulties was I was very sort of much, I never felt committed to completely to my two parish assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, first one, because uh, there was a system that was in place, and I was kind of plugged into the system, but it wasn't as cooperative. I was more filling in gaps. And that, on top of the fact that I'm not much of a self-starter and didn't know how to be priest, it was hard for me to kind of find my place in that. Um, and so first two years were kind of difficult with that. Second three years, different, different. Um, also a different kind of system where... It was kind of more of the same, uh, but I was able to get more involved in the community and start building relationships. And I felt like just as I was starting to get good at that, it was time for me to leave. Okay, But now here, I am an essential part of this parish, and I'm treated as such. Um, and the pastor's really good about this. He always has been really good about this. Um, but there's like five years of bad habits I've built up that need to be broken now, um, where it's like... So this is this is the struggle, um, and we're 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 in different situations, Father Harrison. So you are by yourself in the um, outskirts of Canada with your three priests in your entire diocese, and you're running a parish, and it's all it's so it's different. It's yes, different. Yes, yes, uh, yes. But the struggle I have is, and I don't know if it's it's trying to give my entire self to my priesthood and then my entire self to the parish. And what does that look like in a healthy way? And they, I really don't know yet. 
Um, and I think I tend toward preserving myself. Uh, I tend toward guarding my own time. I tend toward holding back um, out of a kind of defensiveness. And I think that needs to die in me. Um, and to it, it's difficult because I have no idea how long I will be here. And this is one of the things like how invested do you, do you get? And this is a thing that a lot of priests in my diocese are struggling with because everything keeps on. We're, we're getting moved around all the time right now. Yeah. And so to kind of put aside that mindset and just kind of throw myself at this community. And like I know mentally, it doesn't actually take a lot. Like if there's a three hour parish event, I can show up for an hour and talk and do that thing. I know I'm capable of it. And even when I do it, even though it's exhausting, I actually do enjoy it. But there's always that temptation of just going back to my uh, rectory room and not doing that thing. Like, ah, they won't miss me, right? This is the struggle that I'm kind of like dealing with right now. Thoughts? First, welcome to my world. Uh-huh. <laughs> welcome. You're, um, I'm just like five or ten years ahead of where your diocese is right now, where you will yeah. be one day. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This one scares me. This one scares me, yeah. I have lots of thoughts, actually. So you talk about this toughness thing, and um, I think that's a really important thing because this is something we all, every priest will say, man, it's, it is tough, it's tough, it's tough. And I was actually, I was watching um, Larry Chapp's recent interview with a priest whose name I'm forgetting right now, um, although he's dropped the name of our podcast many times on his uh, YouTube shows, which I'm very grateful for. Oh, Larry uh, Chapp yeah, has? Yeah, 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 yeah. Delightful. Yeah. Um, so, and this priest was like, just talking, and he was very t- talking about a very positive way. I'm like, oh, you, like, you haven't suffered enough then, or something like that. You know, my, 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 my uh, my, you're too joyful. Yeah, yeah. But I thought he, he, he was bringing up some good stuff. But, um, but I was thinking about it too, and I thought, you know, yeah, maybe he, like, it's, there's nothing, like, I gotta, always, you, one always has to be careful of saying, well, I experience toughness and you don't. So therefore, I gotta drag you down to my level or, right. or you, you're just being a little Pollyannic and, and you really don't actually believe what you're saying or something like this, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, I don't think that's ever fair. And I was, so it actually got me pondering around this question. And, uh, I, I had, I sent you an email, um, mm-hmm. which yeah. I, I'm not gonna, this is, a. This is something I'm just pondering, so I don't want to talk about it too much on the podcast yet. Okay, I thought for sure it's going to be a topic eventually. It probably will, uh, but yeah. I need to try to be slower about things and let things ruminate mm-hmm. and let the Holy Spirit do His work. But I thought to myself, because like, I've had similar experiences, right? Like, and, and, it's, and and for myself, the last year, like, I, um, on a little kind of a personal side, I'm I'm, I'm probably going to share this with the parish this weekend in a very long pastor's notes. I thought I was treading water this last year. And just surviving with all the chaos that was thrown my way. And actually, I was drowning. Mm-hmm. I just needed to be, I couldn't notice, I couldn't see I was drowning until I got away. So it is tough. And, and it's tough for, and selfishness is always a part of that, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and that fear of not giving of self is, is a part of that. And so, like, I've been, pr- like, so your questions I've been praying about a lot lately. And, and pondering and just thinking it over and over. And I'm like, why is it so tough? Like, this is just really weird. And what's hitting me is we are trained as priests to approach parochial work in a notion of hierarchical communion and co-responsibility with the laity. Mm-hmm. But most of the people who go to Mass, their experience of church 
is in the mode of everything flows from and towards the priest. And I think that's part of the toughness. Hmm. We come in thinking, well, I want to empower people to do the work and, and to be missionary and all this stuff. But everyone comes to us seeing us as the solution to all the problems. We are the marriage counselor, the financial expert, the lender, the person who can help me find housing, uh, the person who's going to deal with the like. Every, we are we are we are made the religious professional in every way, sense of form, and expectations are placed on us that are just impossible to fill sometimes. And I think that's part of the toughness. Mm-hmm. Our our generation of priests actually want to inhabit what the church teaches about the laity, but the laity live in still honestly an older culture. And it's no no one's fault. This is culture is is much bigger than than we can ever control in many ways. It's just the culture of parish life, how it's organized and run, is done in such a way that how we see a parish and how a lot of the faithful see the parish, it doesn't mesh. Hmm. And so it makes it tough. And then you're like, and so we go into priesthood thinking, why are people expecting all these responsibilities of me? And then we think, well, then I'm not must be not be giving of myself enough. Uh, and so these are like this is one. I, I, I have other things, but I mean, I don't know that that that's been my thing about it. I don't yeah. know if that's your experience of the toughness element or if there's something different. Yeah. No. I mean, um, so that that can be part of it. But okay. So very yeah. concrete example. Uh, I had the 4 p.m. mass last weekend, and um, at 6 o'clock, we began our summer concert series. So every, like, month or there'll be a few weeks where basically it's a purely social event. It's in the parking lot. We have food trucks, music, bring your own chair, bring your own cooler, that kind of thing. And it's really nice. And I, I was able to go to a few of them when I first was assigned here. And uh, But also, my parents invited me out to dinner. To one of my mom's restaurants I had not been. People know that my mom, I think I mentioned it. She works in the restaurant business. New restaurant. Hadn't been there yet. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. So I had a lovely dinner with my mom, dad, Indiana, the producer, the whole producer family. I'm thinking about that. It's like, but what's my obligation to that social event at the parish? Now, there will be other ones, and I'm definitely going to make them a priority, and I'll be at them, you know? Um but that's a weird balance of like spending time with my family, which is good for me and them, and also spending time with what really should be my parish family. And it's not that anyone would expect a lot from me at that event. They would just like to see me, right? And that's the balance that can be tricky sometimes. Um, and also, it's tough for my brain. Um, so in my brain, if I was running, let's make up a parish event. Um uh, let's say there's a big parish event where we're taking M&Ms and uh, gluing them to paper and having them on crosses, and that's that's the parish event or whatever. In my brain, if I was running that, I would just, like, I would not expect a priest to be there because I never really had a deep connection with parish priests growing up. It was not something that I expected. Um, and if you see Father A, that's cool, whatever. Um, but I think it's fair... I think it's fair that, you know, this this four-day parish event of M&M crosses, that Father shows up for a day or two, for an hour here or a half hour there. Um, because while indeed 
this is this is the tricky balance of like yes empowering lay people and like to do their thing and the priest can't be the glue of a parish in a way he was before exactly you know when he had like 200 families and one church building and that it, it and can't be the same <laughs> yeah um it can't be like that but i think there still has to be something yes so well, here's the thing, though, because like my reality is a little bit more extreme, right? We have yes, eight, it's more extreme. We have literally two parishes, one parish with 500 families, mm-hmm. no priest. We don't have a priest to give to it. Yeah, and another par- parish with 300 families on the weekend, we don't have a priest to give to it, and so they don't. Mm-hmm. And the few retired priests we have are often just doing Sunday masses there, and that's all we can do. And so it's getting quite extreme here, and yeah. it's going to get worse before it gets better. So this is the question, that, like so. Because I, on our retreat, Archbishop Miller was uh, talking about pastoral closeness at one point, and I'm just like, I raised my hand. I'm like, how? <laughs> like, yeah, how? Like, I, I, this seems impossible. And I, I mean, I, I have some ideas about this now, but that's a, a again, let this ponder and stew for a bit. Um, yeah, but you're right. There will be less priests, and so how are we going to? Like, I, I was talking to a friend about this last night actually, and she was saying that it's so weird that a priest can put on an event like a young adult group and it'll thrive. But the second the group tries to run it itself, it can really start to crack or fall apart. And then if the priests, if those priests come back for a talk, whenever people come, because so there's this weird sense of like, she put it of people can't recognize the holiness of the other and the privilege of that pastoral closeness just through Mm -hmm. the communion of the church amongst the faithful. And I think our job as priests is to actually help form that more so that as the reality of less and less priests hits, we're hitting, and it's not, by the way, folks, this is not just priests. This is like doctors and, and we are hitting the demographic cliff and it is coming fast and hard. Um, and it's scary because the, the needs are being vastly, um, out, are vastly outweighing what can be given in all these fields. So we have to start thinking about how we can change attitudes about pastoral closeness doesn't always have to depend on the priest. Yeah, right? I agree they, with that. You know, and, and so um, I, think that's a, I think that's a big, and this is where my brain's been going because like, I, listen, there's going to be a reality of, I think a lot of parishes aren't going to have priests in my diocese in five years. Mm-hmm. So how do you ensure that if, if a parish... If a parish wants to survive, what needs to be in place for it to do that? If it wants to. And if it doesn't want to, it'll die and it'll be closed. But I think a, a good, spiritually healthy parish will want to remain because of the communion that's there in the, amongst the faithful, that regardless of having a priest there or not on a weekend, they want to gather together. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Okay. But I'm also thinking, and, and things are going to be like so... Right now we have two priests for our fifteen thousand plus uh, registered. That, that is literally registers. insane. But anyways, yeah. um, uh, and there are parishes with uh, less people and more priests. But I don't understand how any of that works. Anyway, and I'm not cranky about it at all. Uh, but you're not, you're not. You're not bitter. You're not bitter. <laughs> I'm not bitter. And also, in a very genuine way, you know, who knows? And I, that's one thing I've learned being more and more involved with the diocese is that. A lot of times there are reasons, and some of them are good, some of them are bad, but yeah. anyway. Uh, that aside, my complaining aside, 
there is still a part of me that does not see myself as a no i see myself as a priest but i don't see myself as a priest in the same way that other people see me as a priest yes exactly this is what i was trying to get at earlier like i hold more not just authority but like presence or i mean more to people than i mean to myself yes and how much of that is healthy and how much is that is not hmm. um i was i was at a young adult event uh actually for holy not holy thursday haha <laughs> Um, Ascension Thursday. We actually have Ascension Thursday in my diocese. It's delightful. I think we mentioned it. And yes, are you. it was great. And so I said mass for all these young people, gave them a homily, hung out, talked to some people. Um, delightful thing. And uh, hung out with a buddy of mine who's known me since seminary. In fact, we were in seminary for two years together. And now he has, now he has a whole family and it does evangelization stuff and great dude. And uh, But he doesn't see me in ministry a lot because a lot of times we're just hanging out. Um, but he kind of came to me and said, you have become really comfortable in your priesthood. And that was a great affirmation. Because also, he's the same kind of guy who would tell me, like, your mass was terrible and you acted like a jackass. He would say that without flinching if he thought that was true. Right. Um, uh, so I, you got to appreciate friends like that. And that's true. I am very comfortable being a priest, doing priest things, even seeing myself as father. Uh, but at the same time, I still hold in myself this idea of I'm just Anthony. Gotcha. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes sense. So why does Anthony need to show up to this or that event? Like, it doesn't click in my brain. But I also to realize I'm not just Anthony. But also I am. But also I'm not. Does that make sense? <laughs> you're, you're the bearer of a sacrament, and therefore you bear something greater than yourself. Yeah, but, and it and it's manifested through yourself, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think, well, I don't disagree with you, and I think um, because we again, it gets kind of beaten into us. Clericalism bad. Cleric, you are not your office. You are not your office. You are not your yeah. office. Uh, and I completely actually love that. Um, but this was getting what I was getting at earlier. People don't see us that way. Still, they still see mm -hmm. you are the office. Like, mm -hmm. like there is a. It's not. You see, sacrament does not mean identification. It means a union and distinction, right? This is so. Yeah, actually, I will say it now, yeah. and I haven't investigated this. So, if any heresy alarms go off, please, uh, please, um, please let me know. I actually do not like it when people call the priest another Christ. Go on, because it loses the distinction between person and office of the sacrament. Mm. Or, or, or the, of the of of the persons that work in the sacrament. Yes, mm -hmm. I bear Christ the head in my priesthood, and that is at the core of my existence. It brings about the ontological change of and a new order, a new relating to the whole church in a definitive way for the rest of my life. But people, when they say you're another Christ, it's like first I'm like, well. Then there's like four what four hundred thousand Christs in the world, you know. It's like also yeah. there is like you are conformed to Christ in your baptism as well. Exactly. This this is exactly it. Like yeah. you bear the Trinity, <laughs> yeah, by baptism, and yeah. so I I bear Christ in a unique form in the life of the church in my priesthood, but I am not Christ. <laughs> 
but he yeah. works in and through me in my own nothingness. He big, he ta- that's where he takes me up to say, uh, I want to work through you. So I'm not a, like, and so that notion of like another Christ seems to lose the, the semblance of the sacrament. And it, it, it's actually akin to how, there's a whole other thing, but it's actually akin to how Catholics seek sacraments in general, which is just bonkers yeah. often. Um, mm-hmm. No, sacrament means that there's a signifying, you're a signifying presence. You're, you're making presence something that you're not. Yeah. <laughs> I am not Christ. And so I can't, like, that's why I'm like, I, I again, I have, I want to look into this soon because I have actually, it's been, it's, I see it and I just cringe for whatever reason. And so I think that's part of it. I think um, it's how we, we see the office. Uh, and how we've been trained to see the office, and I think to try and bear that more healthy notion of sacrament, uh, which allows your humanity to be Anthony, and that's precisely yeah. what Jesus loves to use in your priesthood for the people. Mm-hmm. And that's right. Um, this gets to the other quick thing, though. Uh, I know we're kind of getting to the end here, but um, I had a couple visit me uh, over the weekend. We received someone to the church, and they they had formed him elsewhere. And uh, and the beautiful, they are both former Anglican ministers, Ooh. even the wife, right? Got him. And so she left ministry to become Catholic. Wow! Right? Like, so you think That's about all beautiful. the. It's really they are amazing people. I was I was it was so nice to have them over. Yeah, and she made this really. I think this may help you in this too. She, I, I love this. She says. There's a difference between being busy and being full. Mm. And we tend to think that the former is the latter. Yeah. And I think a priesthood lived towards fullness will naturally open itself up to greater and greater self-giving. A priesthood that's lived to busyness will not. It will want to protect and isolate. A priesthood that lives in fullness will recognize its limits and live out and and say I can't do this. Like this is something I'm starting to come to terms. I can't because I usually, I suck at executive function. I yeah. am not good at getting things done as quickly as others are, and I can't just do it. It's a it's a brain thing, and I'm okay with this. But it means I now have to live my priesthood in such a way with the acceptance of that weakness. And when I do that, that's when I'll be more full. And that will then naturally turn into helping deal with the bad habits. You'll want to kill the habits because you're living a full life as a priest. Yeah. And you want to remove those things that those things of self. That's the constant purification of the cross in one's priesthood of it because self-giving is not instant. It's a it's a growth in habit. And the parents will tell you mm. the same thing in family life, right? And then what this does is that seeking of fullness will make you want like we, let's say you had a 16-hour day. You won't call it a 16-hour day mm-hmm. because it was living the Christian life with others. Yeah. So like, I'll give you an example. Like, just as like a quick example of this was actually this past weekend for me. You know, I woke up on Saturday morning, did some things around the house and still kind of getting back from being away for a lot, exercise, et cetera. Went to the office, did some office stuff for a bit, heard confessions, prepared for this reception of church, said mass. We all went out for dinner afterwards and then a couple, and we were sharing, not just, we weren't just talking shop. We were sharing our faith and our encounter with Jesus with one another. And yeah. we did the same thing in the Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And then I went and said mass. It was, and I went about things a bit more slowly on purpose, having a bit few like little nuggets, these conversations with others. Did the same thing at the mission church, these little nuggets of others. And then I went to a parishioner's house and there was a couple of families there. I was pitching 
this idea that I emailed you about to these yeah. two families. And we were sharing our faith with each other. And I got home and talked and called up my friend and because I was she wanted to talk to me about this proposal and and give me her feedback. And we were sharing our faith with each other. Like yesterday, I went from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. pretty much nonstop. Yeah. And I didn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. I, it was a full day. It wasn't a busy day. Yeah. And I think that is the attitude. I loved I was like, thank you for that was such a gift to receive. I think mm-hmm. that's it was something that helped me see how do I organize my life as a priest for that. Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful. Uh, so just a few wrapping up thoughts. Uh, one, I'm very blessed. This is the mm-hmm. right assignment for me. You have a good and you have a really good pastor who a really good pastor. Really, yeah. Um, and I love the people and they have grown to love me as well. Like there's a good relationship there. Um, and uh, I I think it would come. I mean, in a very simple way. I do, and I do want to, and I will be just stepping up my presence because mm-hmm. that's the thing that I can do, uh, that I want to do. It just will be, there'll be some grow, growing pains in that, but that's just kind of what I need to do. Um, and then it's almost like when you're, I am no longer in survival mode as a priest. Now it's more of in a healthy place, in a healthy way, figuring stuff out about myself and what this ministry really means and what diocesan spirituality really means in the context of this parish, of this diocese. So overall, it's a good thing. And um, having my pastor not just challenge me, but offer all of his support in the challenge right, um, was was great. He's being a father to you. Yeah, yeah, and and, and a brother. He yeah. very much treats me like a yeah. brother priest. Um, so that's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so just those are the, those are the thoughts. Cool. Nice. Okay. Well, guys, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. I have to make sure now that Nick uh, and in honor of Trinity Sunday, thank you for listening. (laughs) There you go. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at uh, the next parish event that I'm having. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at fr Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. If you have a theological emergency, please call 412-912-7995, 412-912-7995. It's the best part of the show right now. Also, special thanks to our guest producer for the next couple episodes, Taylor Schroll from Forte Catholic. Check out Forte Catholic. I was wondering who was going to be doing this. I figured it was Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to have uh, Taylor. Uh, yeah, we're going to pay him some monies to do our podcast because Nick's going to be away. But check out Taylor Schroll's uh, podcast, Forte Catholic, all the stuff he does. He's great. Yeah. Peace. God bless. God bless.